Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, Hancock County Adamus has been tapped to administer $1.3 million in grant money to further address substance abuse issues and addiction recovery in the community. It is a multifaceted effort that will involve a variety of local agencies. Adamus Deputy Director Jennifer Schwartzlander will join us with details. Also this morning, more than 170,000 migrants were apprehended along the southern U.S. border last month alone. Representative Bob Latta discusses his recent visit to get a first-hand view of what he describes as a massive crisis. And we have another collection of tasty and easy recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Friday, April 16th, 2021. The 106th day of 2021, there are 259 days until the end of the year. Today is World Semicolon Day. Now, we like to start the program by giving you the rundown of all of the uh, celebrations, the uh, most pertinent uh, observances each day, because every day is a day we're celebrating. And today is World Semicolon Day. Uh, now, lest you think this is just one of those silly little things, there is a, a very important meaning behind this. World Semicolon Day is aimed at celebrating those who chose not to end their lives because their stories are not over yet. Suicide survivors mark the day by sharing their stories with the world to raise awareness for mental health and suicide prevention. So why the semicolon, you ask? Well, because when authors use semicolons, it shows that a sentence has not yet ended and that the story is not yet over. And so you can see the tie-in with World Semicolon Day today. So that is the most substantial uh, event today, World Semicolon Day. It is also the International Day of the Mushroom. <laughs> Uh, it is National Bean Counters Day, National Eggs Benedict Day, National Librarian Day. It is National Orchid Day, so bring your favorite librarian some orchids today. And, uh, and, and treat, treat your librarian to an uh, Eggs Benedict uh, breakfast or something. And it is also Save the Elephant Day, and it is National... Wear your pajamas to work day, which I am doing today. I will freely admit because we are uh, at the uh, home studio this morning. We're in the bunker and it's radio. You can't tell anyway. So, <laughs> but whether you're working from home, I, I would assume it says here world uh, national wear your pajamas to work day. I would assume that they intend that to apply whether you are uh, working at home or not. So I don't know if that would run afoul of your <laughs> workplace <laughs> uh, dress code or not. But uh, in any event, National Wear Your Pajamas to Work Day. Here is more proof among the uh, first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Friday morning started. More proof that people are ready to bust out and do things again. Disneyland which is finally reopening at the end of this month after being closed for more than a year because of the pandemic. Uh, they're reopening April 30th, and people trying to book reservations and buy tickets are reporting that they have uh, that yesterday, when the tickets went on sale, 
Uh, many folks who were looking to get those tickets spent hours online in a virtual queue trying to get them. Waits as much as eight hours were reported. Eight hour waits to get tickets to Disneyland, which is kind of ironic because when the park opens, it'll be at a reduced ca- uh, capacity of just 15%. So I would imagine uh, that there will be very few lines to get on the actually get on the rides and the attractions at Disneyland. <laughs> but just to get that full experience, that full theme park experience, <laughs> people are waiting for eight hours just to get tickets. Um, when Disneyland reopens, it says people not only have to have tickets, but also reservations. Uh, and uh, they're also only going to be opening at first to California residents. So this is just people who from the state of California who want to get in. Um, people who had existing valid tickets uh, for dates where they and they end up being closed. They say they were able to start making reservations for the date that max, matched their ticket on April 12th. So in other words, if you had a, uh, a ticket for sometime in July, last July when they were closed, you could get the same date this year. Uh, and that was uh, able to. But yesterday, sales were opened up to allow California residents to both buy tickets and make reservations. And the online reservation and ticket system uh, was not handling the crush of people well. So more proof that people are ready to get out and do things again. The uh, started the 2020 postponed Tokyo Olympics is now just three weeks away. But an official in Japan said yesterday, did you see this, that the Olympic Games could still be canceled? Uh, again, they were postponed from last year, and the date is, is coming up. Like many places around the world, Japan currently having a surge of coronavirus cases, another one. And they have also had a slow rollout of their vaccination program in that country. And so the Secretary General... Uh, Toshihiro Nikai told the Associated Press the Olympics could be canceled if the COVID-19 numbers do not improve. It has also been suggested that the games could be held, but without any fans already, foreign fans uh, have been locked out of the games. The uh, Japanese people, I thought this was kind of interesting, the Japanese people themselves don't seem to be very eager to move forward with the Olympics. A poll in that nation earlier this week found 72% were in favor of either postponing the games again or canceling them altogether. I got to think, I have to think that if, you know, push came to shove, they'd just cancel them at this point. They they couldn't postpone them again, could they? Because then you would be bumping up against the next Winter Olympics and the next Summer Olympics and all of that. just can't see that happening, but... Anyway, some of the other uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Friday morning started. Should the Supreme Court have 13 justices instead of the current nine on the bench? That is what a group of congressional Democrats is arguing, and they have introduced legislation that would make it happen. Supporters of the expansion charge that Republicans have uh, got an unfair advantage on the high court uh, ever since 
Then Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell blocked uh, President Obama's uh, nominee to fill uh, Antonin Scalia's seat uh, back in uh, 2016 and then turned around uh, and filled the seat vacated by uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg when she died last September and got uh, Amy Coney Barrett confirmed just a matter of weeks before the presidential election. So, a little uh, court packing of their own, they say, on the part of the uh, Republicans. The chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, uh, Gerald uh, Nadler, say, is it Nadler or Nadler? Nad- Jared Nadler, uh, said, some people say we're packing the court. We're not packing it. We're unpacking it. Republicans, obviously, have a different view, calling it a power grab, but either way, it is an extremely long, uh, long shot effort. Uh, even Nancy Pelosi said yesterday she might not even bring it up for a vote, even if it somehow managed to advance out of committee. Um, and what I thought was interesting about this report, now I remember yesterday when we were talking about the story about a commission to examine reparations for slavery. Right. Uh, We mentioned that President Biden has said he supports the idea of studying reparations, did not say that he supports the idea of reparations, just the idea of studying. And we were mentioning how uh, President Biden is very skilled being a lifelong politician at walking that line and not committing one way or the other. You know what I mean? It's the very uh, interesting word choice of I'm in favor of studying the issue. Well, here again, President Biden uh, created a commission last week to examine the issue of expanding the court and also the possibility of having term limits for the justices. Again, he didn't come out and say that he supports it. He created a commission to examine the issue. A very politician thing to do. Because, you know, what you have is you always have these uh, commissions or these inquiries or these panels that study things, and then nothing ever comes uh, of it. Because politicians have learned that you can placate the public with a study or an examination or a commission to look into the issue. We're going to talk about it, but they never do anything one way or the other. So anyway, here's another ca- uh, case. So I thought that was interesting. thought I would share. And uh, maybe the biggest, most important news story of the day this morning to start your, your day right off the bat. Men's shorts are getting shorter, and social media users have noticed. After a few male celebrities shared photos of themselves wearing high-cut activewear earlier this week, Men's Health Magazine wrote in a, in a hard-hitting article that short shorts for men are likely going to gain in popularity this summer, especially among fitness enthusiasts. you got to show off those legs. The director of the Avant Guide Institute, Daniel Levine, says that shorter shorts for men have been trending in 2021. According to Global Research, it is not the first time in fashion history this has happened. Obviously, men's athletic shorts were noticeably short between the 1940s and the 1980s before trends shifted toward above or at the knee shorts or in some cases even longer. Many on Twitter have acknowledged the cyclical nature nature of fashion 
in posts that either praised or shamed men's short shorts. But this is big news. Short shorts for men are back. Make of that what you will. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories <laughs> to get your Friday morning started. WFIN News, I'm John Marshall. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast is calling for partly sunny skies today with a high near 60, partly cloudy tonight with a low 35. Governor DeWine gave his latest coronavirus update from the University of Toledo yesterday. You know, our, our ticket to freedom is the vaccine. And our ticket to a good summer is the vaccine. Our ticket to a, to a good spring is the vaccine. It's our ticket out. The governor said Lucas, Hancock, Wood, and other counties in northwest Ohio are currently seeing the highest occurrences of cases. DeWine said this area of the state is seeing an uptick in cases due to its proximity to Michigan, where COVID-19 variants are causing a surge. He's urging people to continue practicing safety measures and to get vaccinated as soon as possible. The Ohio State Highway Patrol says a man was killed as he was helping a semi-driver remove down utility lines from his vehicle in Paulding County. The patrol said Vance Owen Campbell of Wasion began to help the semi-driver remove the lines from his vehicle. While working to remove those lines, another semi-truck struck the low-hanging lines. Campbell, who was standing on the trailer, was struck by the lines and sustained fatal injuries. The incident remains under investigation by the highway patrol. The West Ohio Food Bank and the United Way of Faustoria held a food distribution in Faustoria yesterday. If this one was missed, Libra Martin of the United Way of Faustoria says more food events will likely be scheduled. More than likely, um, we kind of just work with the West Ohio Food Bank on a monthly basis, kind of see what they have available, if they have anything available for us. And for folks in the Pandora area, the West Ohio Food Bank will be holding a food distribution there on Saturday. Get more on that and other upcoming food events on our website. The Hancock Park District will be demonstrating how dandelions were used in the past to prepare savory dishes, sweets, and beverages. The demonstrations are part of the Park District's Virtual Experiences program and are included in their Way Back Wednesday series. Get more details on our website. More news online 24 hours a day at WFIN.com. I'm John Marshall for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. And now our cover story this morning. As we mentioned, Hancock County has recently received a $1.3 million federal grant. It's a two-year grant to continue development of support services and programs for youth and adults alike with substance abuse uh, problems. Uh, Hancock County Adamus will be administering that uh, locally. And joining us is Deputy Director Jennifer Schwartzlander. Jennifer, thanks very much for uh, taking the time this morning. When we talk about a $1.3 million grant, um, how how does that compare? I mean, is that is that a size? It seems like a sizable grant uh, as uh, monies for this uh, type of thing go. How substantial is that? Yes, good morning, Chris. Um, thanks for having me on the show. And yes, it is a substantial grant. Um, our federal government has provided um, opiate funding to address the epidemic that we began experiencing um, really in 2017. And um, these funds will go to five sub-awardees. It's a significant grant that our federal government is continuing to support local communities and how they're reaching out to their community members who are challenged with this issue. 
as you alluded to, uh, there uh, will be a this will be a multifaceted effort that will involve a variety of uh, local agencies. Kind of take us through uh, the the various ways that this money will be allocated and the programs that it will be used for. Sure, there are five agencies that are sub awardees of this grant. Um, Focus Wellness and Recovery Center will, um, it really has helped them update their, um, their facility and the, the furniture. Um, they, ru- they run a free recovery home, so they were in, able to get some additional furniture. Uh, they were able to get a car to help um, with services and um, also for some increased training for community members on to work with families who have a member who's in substance use and really not willing to engage in treatment yet. So there's a variety of services there. Family Resource Center is our largest partner agency, and they will have a variety of services, including peer support, uh, support at the jail, medically-assisted treatment prescribers. Um, They also... Um, we'll have some services around employment um, to support individuals who are um, seeking recovery and seeking employment as a result of that. Mm-hmm. A Renewed Mind is our third agency, and they're also going to receive some of those services around employment and uh, the medically-assisted treatment um, prescribers. Then our last agency is Habitat for Humanity. They are launching what's called a fina- uh, financial Opportunity Center, and this will support the staff for that, again, with um, our dollars being focused on those individuals who have substance use um, issues, although the Financial Opportunity Center serves a more broad population than that, but our dollars will be focused on those individuals. It really is interesting in in hearing you talk about the various programs that these monies will support uh, because there are the direct interventions that I think people would expect to hear about. And then some of the uh, other uh, uh, programs are ones that may not immediately come to mind, such as uh, uh, job placement assistance, uh, financial assistance. uh, financial coaching and so on through Habitat for Humanity, as you as you mentioned, uh, you find that these are equally important for those who are on the road to recovery. Absolutely, having stable housing, having a stable job is so important, just for stability, but also for socialization and um, you know stress. Um, Chris, I also realized I, I neglected to mention the hospital. They're, they're actually the fifth agency we're funding through this. They have what's called a mom's program, um, and that is for maternal opiates. So it, the, the goal is for individuals who um, have an opiate addiction and are pregnant. It's, the goal is to have a safe, healthy baby and to engage mom in services and, and, and um get into recovery during that time. So they are the fifth agency. And we've talked about that uh, program in the past. Uh, Again, it is Mm -hmm. a terrific uh, way to, again, intervene uh, at a, at a critical moment and, and break this cycle. Absolutely. Um, It's an opportunity, like I said, for babies to be born safe and healthy 
um, for moms. Often moms are very motivated when they're pregnant um, to seek services. And so um, this, this program, I think, is on in their uh, fourth year, I believe. Mm-hmm. And um, they have done tremendous things. There's a nurse navigator at Blanchard Valley Hospital, and they've reached out to moms and continue to engage them. Uh, not only when they're pregnant, but after um, delivery. And they've done a fantastic job. That is an example of a program that is already in place that will receive additional funding so that it can uh, continue. Uh, how many of these, uh, you mentioned that there are uh, opportunities to uh, add staffing, add some additional training. For the most part, it sounds like uh, most of these uh, programs are existing programs that will be strengthened by these dollars. Absolutely. We are able to add some staff, but it really is about strengthening our network of services in our community so that individuals who um, are living with a substance use issue around opiates or stimulants can be you know, better served and served across systems. Is it all really making a difference? As you mentioned, obviously, this has been a crisis for a number of years now. We hear reports that over the course of the past year with the pandemic and all of the uh, side effects uh, of that have led to, in some cases, a resurgence uh, of this issue. Is, is all of this really making a difference? Are we making progress here? We absolutely are. Um, as the Adamus Board in Hancock County, we track um, data and look at how our programming is having an impact. And um, one one startling uh, number in 2017, we had 30 confirmed overdoses, individuals who died from an overdose. Um, and then in 2019, we had cut that number in half. It was 15. So um, we definitely saw an impact in these services. We um, were thrilled with that. But you're certainly right. The the impact of COVID and the pandemic has been significant to, you know, every member of our community. And so people weren't engaged in services or they're isolated. And so that that's not a, a great situation for anyone, but certainly someone who is struggling with substance use. So we continue to offer services. We continue to reach out to people in the community, not just at agencies, but really working to reach out to them in the community. And, um, you know, 2020 was, was maybe a step back for us, but we continue those services and continue to really be a leader in the state in terms of what's offered in our community. And that uh, $1.3 million in grant money uh, will certainly uh, make that uh, possible to continue that work moving forward and and curb this uh, uptick that we've seen uh, over the past year. Again, uh, Adamus uh, Deputy Director Jennifer Schwartzlander with us this morning. You have more details on uh, your website and more information for those who may be in need of such services we have that linked up at goodmornings.net. Jennifer, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. Have a good day.
So last week, House Minority Whip Steve Scalise led a delegation of congressional Republicans on a visit to the U.S.-Mexico border to see firsthand the issues there with a growing number of illegal migrant crossings. More than 170,000 mostly Central Americans were apprehended just last month alone. Representative Bob Latta was among those uh, on that junket. And, uh, Congressman, in a, a statement, you called the situation staggering and said that there is no doubt from anyone who has seen this can call it anyone uh, can call it anything but a massive crisis. Share your thoughts on that uh, visit to the uh, southern border uh, about a week ago. Well, thank you very much for having me on. And I was at the border three years ago. And uh, I, there is absolutely no way you can compare what I saw three years ago to what I saw last Thursday and Friday when we were at the border. Uh, you, you know, when you look at these numbers of over 174,000 people illegally crossing our border, and these are the people that they've caught, not, not the people that have also gotten by them. And so, you know, it's, uh, it's staggering, as I said. And when we were there, uh, it was about midnight, uh, with the Border Patrol, and first let me say this, they, the Border Patrol people are doing everything in their power with what they've been given. Unfortunately, uh, you know, they're, they're being overrun, and not only are they being overrun, 40% of them are now being taken off the line just to do paper processing now for all of these people. And when you look at that 174,000 coming across, and then you look at the uh, 19,000 unaccompanied minors that are coming across, these are, a lot of these are just little kids. And uh, right now, Border Patrol has over 5,500 of these uh, unaccompanied minors in, under their control, but they're only supposed to have them for 72 hours before they're supposed to uh, be uh, going out to be placed where they're supposed to be. So... You know, some people say, well, why can't they stop them when they're crossing the river? Well, it's costing uh, these people about $4,000 a head to have these uh, human traffickers uh, bring them north, and it might take 40 days to get them here. And when they're bringing them across in these rafts, they, if they are intercepted in the uh, Rio Grande River, and it's, pre it's, it's pretty far across in some spots, mm -hmm. and it's about 40 feet deep. They will throw people out of the rafts, even little babies. And, and uh, so, that, you know, if it's the Border Patrol or the Texas troopers in their boats, uh, you know, it becomes a rescue mission for them then. And so it's yeah. almost uh, they have to let these people get on our side of the border. And the following day, uh, when we went through what they call the Donna facility, this is a facility that was built to hold 250 people, and it's a, a temporary-type structure, but it's, you could almost call it permanent. And it's air-conditioned. They have a medical unit in there and everything else, and it's supposed to hold 250 people. The week before we were there, there were 4,000 people there, and we, when we were there, there were 3,500. And, and then they have these different pods that are only supposed to hold 33. And the best way to describe this is imagine if you took your kids to school one day and you had 33 kids in the classroom. The next day you show up, there's 600 in there. And that's how many they've got these kids, little, I mean, all ages, you know, underneath these like space blankets, uh, just uh, on top of each other. But again, this all started with the president 
when he re- reversed uh, President Trump on the construction of the wall. He also uh, stopped the protocol with uh, Mexico where people were sent back to Mexico to wait for their processing to be done. And then the third was is the uh, with the Central American countries to make sure that the uh, people were filing for asylum down there and not making the trek here. Because, again, yeah. at the Donna facility, there are over 51 nations and nationalities of people there. The, these smugglers are charging, like I said, $4,000 a head for Central Americans and $35,000 a person if you're Chinese. Let they've me, also intercepted Yemenis. L- let me uh, jump in here, uh, because uh, as yeah. you mentioned, uh, the Republicans lay the blame squarely on the Biden administration. There's no question that uh, some of those policies have contributed to the problem. Democrats have countered that border agents typically do see numbers spike in the spring and summer months, and the data does back up that claim. They also point out that the year-over-year increase is also partly due to the pandemic but having said all that and we want to make sure that we get that out there in the in the interest of fairness you point out that the biden administration has reversed some of the uh, trump policies but the previous administration's record on handling illegal immigrants was not exactly stellar either at the end of the day there were only a handful of miles of the border wall built uh and with respect to handling those migrants that did get into the country, the Trump administration struggled with this as well. Well, I think the best way to say this is that the uh, Trump administration, you know, when you look at the protocols that they got into place, and all of a sudden we saw things go down. And I think one of the best evidences of this is think back to the 2020 election cycle. How much was the word border security and illegals coming across the border brought up? It was like a non-issue because, again, you don't have to build a wall from one side of the country to the other. It's listen to these Border Patrol uh, folks, and they'll tell you where to build it, and that's what they were doing. Now we have sections that aren't, and here's the other thing is we're paying for it right now, build it or not, because we're under contract to do it. So the Biden administration we're paying contractors not to finish the wall. A fair point. And uh, so when you when you look at what was being built and at the crossings, they, they stopped 95% of crossings when they got these walls up or barriers, whatever you want to call them. And, uh, but what's happening now is, is that what this, uh, uh, everybody come on up is what pretty much Biden said. And all of a sudden when it starts, oh, I didn't mean it. Well, it's too late now because it's on the Internet down there. They they say it's 100% safe to come to the United States with these uh, human traffickers. And they're made, it's estimated in the month of February, these these people made over $411 million in one month alone. And the drug traffic, and we, we saw a spike last year, the highest number of overdose deaths in American history at 88,000. And now what we're seeing is, uh, fentanyl, uh, cocaine, heroin, marijuana, uh, mess, all streaming into the country. Because when you take 40% of your Border Patrol people offline, they can't cover it. The Let state me- of Texas has deployed 1,000 Texas Rangers and troopers and 500 National Guardsmen, costing them millions of dollars a month 
just to try to back up the Customs and Border Patrol. Let me jump in here because some of that actually speaks to uh, the fact that those who are intimately familiar with this issue, humanitarian organizations, immigration lawyers, and and so on, those who deal with this uh, every day, say that fixing the problem comes down to solutions that no politicians on either side of the aisle are willing to implement because they are expensive and because they don't involve the visual impact of building a wall, for example. They say we need more agents, we need more technology, we need more judges to process cases in a timely manner, we we need more housing for those waiting for their hearings, and most of all, we need more aid to those Central American nations to lift people out of abject poverty and end corruption in their governments, which would eliminate the need for those individuals to seek asylum in the United States. How do you counter the argument that there is simply no political will to do any of those things? Well, I think, you know, there's a lot of will because, you know, as Republicans, we said, look, we we need to uh, build the wall uh, where the Border Patrol told us to build it. Uh, what they, we also saw with the, with the uh, with the president uh, uh, Trump had done was to say, look, we don't. If you're claiming asylum, and that's the thing. A lot of these people come up here and say they're claiming asylum, and uh, only about 10 to 12 percent of those cases are uh, asylum cases. Uh, economy does not fall under, or economic does not fall under asylum, and so you know this is what the, the Trump administration did. They said, look apply down in the you know the central american countries don't come up here because again you have to remember there's rape there's murder there's theft there's uh but a lot of those things but a lot of those things can't pay but but a lot of those things are happening in their in their home company countries and that's one of the reasons why they are so eager to leave to leave what about that charge that what we really need to be doing is more to help lift those countries out of that abject poverty and end corruption in governments that make so many of them uh, feel like they have no choice but to leave well and you know uh, you have uh, some folks say that we shouldn't get involved in other countries um, you know political processes and uh, so that's one thing you have some of the folks say but at the same time you know that when you look at our foreign policy and what we try to do to to help around the world to make sure that we have democracies that we want to support democracies because again those are the most stable forms of government out there and uh, so I think it's very important that uh, we always look at that, that we want to support the countries that uh, are that have a democracy. Uh, and again, you know, the, the uh, folks, uh, as they make these treks, uh, you know, it's for all, you know, a variety of reasons. But a lot of it, as I said, is on the on the economy side that uh, that, you know, you look at, OK, what can you do? But, you know, there's other countries uh, around the world that can also support and help. And uh, but at the you know we want to make sure that uh, we we have an immigration policy that's working in this country because again when when you think of over you know the 51 uh, nationalities that were there the day that we were in that one facility that had been uh, intercepted you have uh, you know when as I mentioned uh, thirty five thousand dollars for a person to get in from China mm-hmm. that uh, you know we also you know, they they intercepted Yemenis and uh, we don't know how many terrorists are crossing the border yeah uh, that we can't intercept right now yeah so it's again it's we we've, we've got to have we again we've got to have an immigration policy that works 
we've got to have an immigration policy that just doesn't. That's pretty unfair. That right now it's catch and release. Mm-hmm. They they pretty much admitted was that when these people are released, most they'll never see them again, never, and they'll be in this country illegally. And then you think about all of the thousands of people from around the world that go through the legal immigration process to become, you know, get a green card and then become an American citizen. It's just like, well, why doesn't everybody just do this? Just forget that process and just come up to the uh, Mexican border and say, I'm here. Yeah, uh, it is obviously a, a longstanding issue that is far from being solved. Different administration, many of the same problems exacerbated by f- uh, some of the uh, Biden administration's uh, initial policies. Although, to be fair, it does appear as though the administration is starting to backtrack on some of those uh, policies, uh, initiating negotiations uh, to hold some of those uh, migrants in Mexico and some of those Central American countries. So there has been some movement. Uh, on that. Again, uh, Representative Bob Latta with us this morning. Much more on uh, his visit to the southern U.S. border on his website, his official website, and we uh, do have that linked up at goodmornings.net. Congressman, thanks very much, as always, for the time. We appreciate it. Thanks very much. Have a wonderful day. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. What would you do If you woke up on a city bus with no driver in sight, for one passenger in Calgary, the answer is simple. You hop up into the driver's seat and take off. Drive yourself. (laughs) This is what happened. According to uh, the CTV uh, News in Canada, Calgary, police report, report revealed that on Tuesday night, A bus driver stepped off his bus in order to seek assistance with a passenger who had passed out while on board. Problem is, while he was away, said passenger woke up from his stupor and decided to take matters into his his own hands after realizing that the driver was not there. (laughs) There were no other passengers on the bus at the time. A short while later, the bus and the passenger were located by authorities. Charges are pending. The bus driver said, what am I going to do with this passed out passenger? Went to get help. Passenger wakes up. Bus is gone. I guess in a sense, problem solved. (laughs) Try explaining that one to your boss, though. I mean, honestly. Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, this out of uh, New York, where a sweet tooth burglar, along with two kids in tow, engaged in some late night shenanigans that left authorities scratching their heads. Surveillance footage taken at a uh, at an ice cream parlor in New York depicts a man strolling up to the window and then bashing it in. Now, mind you, this is the middle of the night when the the place is closed. Um, he sticks his arm through the broken glass, and as he does so, the two accomplices run into sight and shine a light into the ice cream store. The robber manages to swipe something from the inside, and all three take off but authorities aren't sure why the trio went through all the trouble to steal the ice cream toppers ice cream toppers yes exactly the crooks stole a container of sprinkles that's what they stole (laughs) broke into the place to steal a container of sprinkles it's uh, the report says it is unknown if they were rainbow or chocolate covered (laughs) the store has both Surveillance video caught the three running around 
a local mall and even sliding down an escalator railing before pillaging the ice cream store. The owners still don't know why the crooks stole the candy and cake decorations, but not the actual ice cream or any money. Uh, Samantha Khan, owner of Menchie's, the ice cream parlor in question, reacted to the bizarre footage of the break-in and said, what is the point? <laughs> um, anyway, uh, no arrests have been made. They are still uh, searching for the perpetrators of the strange incident. That would be probably the first question to ask. Hey, kids, let's go steal some sprinkles. <laughs> Weird burglary. This is uh, crazy out of Poland from the international file, the broken news. The Krakow Animal Welfare Society in Poland posted about this on Facebook. Animal welfare officers were called on Wednesday, uh, got a desperate call from a city resident about a mysterious brown beast in a tree that was freaking everyone out in the neighborhood. There was, and I've seen pictures of this. It is kind of a bizarre looking brown beast that nobody knew what it was. It's up in this tree. So they called animal control. Investigators arrived to find in the lilac tree, uh, something that had no legs or head. Uh, they write on Facebook. We already knew that we could not really help this creature, but they wanted to get it out of the tree. Nonetheless, the mysterious big brown, legless headless creature turned out to be a croissant <laughs> everybody standing around freaking out <laughs> this mysterious brown creature up in a tree it turns out it's a croissant no word on how the croissant actually got into the tree in the first place but all is well in poland and finally, in the uh, broken news this morning, and this also from the International File, you might have seen the uh, vintage, uh, video footage of this, censored though it is, uh, a member of parliament in Canada uh, had an embarrassing moment the other day when he appeared naked in front of his colleagues uh, as he was changing out of jogging clothes and into his office attire during a virtual parliamentary session. <laughs> This is one of those bad day stories. You know you're having a bad day when you accidentally appear naked in a Zoom call. I mean, not just uh, not just naked from the, the waist down. You know how people at their Zoom calls uh, have, been, have been doing this, only dressing from the waist up because that's the only thing the camera can catch. In this case, he was buck naked. William Amos uh, seen completely in the nude, a screenshot obtained by uh, media outlets, showed uh, he was holding something, possibly a phone, that blocked everything from view. But that was about it. The footage was visible to other members of Parliament and staff of the House of Commons, but it was not broadcast to the public because uh, Mr. Amos was not speaking at the time, so it wasn't actually on camera. Uh, Mr. Amos represents the Quebec region of Pontiac, later said his camera was accidentally turned on, as he was changing into his work clothes after going for a run. He says, I sincerely apologize to my colleagues in the House of Commons for this unintentional distraction. Is that what you call it? <laughs> so again, that is one of those bad news stories. 
uh, you know you're having a bad day, no matter how bad your day is today, if you have not appeared in a Zoom call stark naked in front of your colleagues, then all things considered, you're not having a bad day after all. It could be much worse. There you go. That is today's broken news update uh, brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Take WFIN wherever you go with our updated mobile app for iPhone and Android. And now you can listen to us on your Alexa device. Get the app at WFIN.com or in the App Store or Google Play. Plus, enable Alexa by searching for WFIN under Skills and you'll soon be saying, Alexa, play 1330 WFIN. And the best part is the apps and skills are absolutely free. On the air at 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Online at WFIN.com and on your smartphone, tablet, and Alexa devices. And now today's daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. Frankly, uh, honestly, this is these are not statistics that shape our lives, but interesting nonetheless. Have you ever wondered exactly how many dinosaurs there were that once roamed the earth in ancient times, prehistoric times. Researchers at the University of California, Berkeley, believe that there were 2.5 billion T-Rexes uh, over the course of their existence. Imagine 2.5 billion school bus-sized predators roaming the earth. They say uh, during the creature's estimated 2.5 million years in North America... Uh, the uh, team estimated that around 20,000 adult T-Rex existed at any one time with one meat-eating dinosaur for every 38 square miles. They also believe there are about 127,000 generations of the species, bringing them to their total population estimate of 2.5 billion. And that's just the number of T-Rex dinosaurs. Really fascinating stuff. And now, once again, to finish the week, as we always do, we like to get another collection of recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. My wife, Kyra, has joined us in the studio this morning. Good morning. Hello there. Hi. <laughs> I will note, and I mentioned this earlier, that uh, today is Go to Work in Your Pajamas Day. And so Me. we both are. We <laughs> We were actually in the uh, in the bunker at the home studio this morning, and uh, we are here in our jammies. So. Yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> but nice. that's okay today, yes. because it is uh, wear your pajamas to work day. Or Perfect. Something anyway. So can I wear my pajamas everywhere uh, today? The reason, <laughs> I, well, to work anyway. The reason I, I bring that up is it is actually rather significant because earlier this week. Uh, it was uh, Toasted Cheese Day. Yes. Right? Toasted, I think it was uh, Toasted yep. Cheese. National Toasted Cheese Day. Okay. And that was, yes. I think, on Tuesday. Yes. Uh, and then on Wednesday, I think it was, yep. was Peach Cobbler yes. Day. Yes. And so we have used <laughs> that uh, as the inspiration for today's collection of recipes. Yep. Which begins with a three cheese bacon grilled cheese bake. Yes. <laughs> wow. This I is know. another one of those this is another one of those recipes that sounds like something you would order at a five star restaurant. Yes. You know but it's really a easy. Five star restaurant that sells grilled cheese. You yeah. can't just sell grilled cheese. Right. It has to be 
something fancy. fancy. A three cheese grilled, three cheese bacon grilled cheese bake. How do we do it? Yes. So the ingredients are eight slices of Italian bread, four slices of Asiago cheese. Asiago. Asiago. Asiago cheese. Asiago. Okay, is that better? <laughs> what did you say? Asiago. 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 Anyway. Okay. <laughs> Are we good? (laughs) I don't want to confuse people. Oh, okay. So four slices of Monterey Jack cheese, Mm -hmm. eight ounces of mozzarella shredded cheese, and where the others are slices, this the The mozzarella mozzarella is is shredded. Okay. And one and three fourths cups of milk, two eggs, salt and pepper to taste, eight slices of bacon, and a half a half a stick. A butter. You may use a little bit more. You may use a little bit less. Completely up to you. Okay. So uh, butter your casserole dish. Um, then add your first layer of bread. Then both of your slices of cheeses. Then your bacon. Then put your other slice of bread on top of that. Then create your um, your mix. So you're going to whisk together your eggs, your milk, your salt, your pepper... And then you're going to pour that over top of the bread. Okay. And then you're going to cover it with mozzarella cheese and pats of butter on top of each of your sandwiches. And then (laughs) bake at 350. This sounds rich. Yeah. Um, For 30 to 35 minutes. So obviously you're not doing this like you would a normal grilled cheese sandwich. Correct. Um, And again, just to go back and, and... make the point you were talking about buttering the dish right as opposed to the bread which normally you would Correct. butter the bread so you're right. going to butter the dish, dish no need to uh, butter the bread additionally no. uh no. okay so and then you pour that over mm-hmm. the top this sounds like a, a sandwich that you eat, eat with a fork <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah um so you're gonna bake this what again at 350 okay for 30 to 35 minutes okay so the three cheese bacon yes. grilled cheese bake. Yes, really Boy, that, easy and really good and really gooey. Lots yeah. of cheese. <laughs> yeah, that sounds yummy. Yeah. To go along, what do you have with grilled cheese but tomato soup? Yes. And uh, you have a recipe for easy tomato yes. basil soup. So this is really an, an a really easy tomato soup recipe. Um, so you have your 28th can, can of your Hunt's um, uh, any you could any style of whole tomatoes. I actually use a roasted. I I like the taste of roasted the tomatoes. Roasted tomatoes, okay. Yeah, so I used um a roasted uh tomato for my tomato soup. Okay. Um, whole uh in the can. Uh, one cup of chicken broth, one tablespoon of brown sugar, two teaspoons of onion powder, one teaspoon of dried basil, a quarter cup of butter, and a quarter cup of heavy cream. Um, so lightly drain your tomatoes, pour in a two-quart bowl, add your broth, your brown sugar, your onion powder, your basil leaves, and gently stir, and then cover and microwave for about five minutes. So you're going to want to use a microwave-safe bowl for this. Okay. Okay? Um, And then remove the cover, add your butter, and let it sit for about three to four minutes until the butter is melted. Then puree your uh, 
your blend, everything in a blender Mm -hmm. for about a minute or so. Or if you don't have a blender, food processor, that works too. Right. So, and then add your cream and serve. Simple as that. Simple as that. Not quite as simple as cracking open a can of Campbell's. No. But but this is homemade. Yes. Uh, Easy tomato basil soup to go with your three cheese bacon grilled cheese bake. And then for dessert, because it was uh, peach cobbler day earlier this week. We have an easy peach cobbler yeah. for you. This is really easy and one of my favorites. I, I love uh, using this recipe, and you can use it with different fruits. It I was going to say. just have to be peaches. We talk peach yeah. cobbler, but it yeah. could be a uh, yeah. it cherry could be, cobbler. Yes, it could be apple, an apple cobbler. Yeah, yeah. any any of your, your favorite uh, canned fruits. Whatever or, is in season. Yes. Whatever you can get you your hands on. You even use canned pears. Sure. Yeah, I okay. love pears. Yeah. That's my yeah. So, so a half a cup of butter melted, one cup of flour, one cup of sugar, one cup of milk, one teaspoon of baking powder, one fifteen ounce can of sliced peaches drained, a teaspoon of cinnamon, and an eighth cup of sugar. Okay. Okay, so you preheat you your oven to 350 degrees. Which you probably already have because you've been uh, baking your Correct. Uh, grilled cheese yes. stuff. Yes. Okay. Yes. So pour, um, and this is something you could do while you're making your tomato soup. You can get all this put together and put in the oven, and mm-hmm. then it's all ready pretty much at the same time. Right. So preheat your oven to 350 degrees. Pour your melted butter into an 8 by 8 a baking dish. Mix together your flour, your sugar, your baking powder, and your milk until it's well combined. Then pour the batter over the melted butter. Don't stir it. So just do not the, stir. Do not stir. Okay. So your melted butter, then your batter. Um, then place the peaches on top of the batter. Sprinkle with some cinnamon sugar mixture and bake for about thirty minutes until golden brown. And mm. serve with some ice cream. Mm, 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 mm. <laughs> that is good stuff right yes. there. So we have the three cheese bacon grilled cheese bake, the easy tomato basil soup, and the easy peach cobbler. You make this meal for your family, and honestly, it'll be like you went out to a fine dinner someplace where, you know, you have the... Napkins as swans or something, and uh, honestly, you're talking about what an hour tops oh, yeah. to put all of this together, yep. and uh, really could not be easier. So, yep. some terrific recipes. Uh, our collection uh, today from Kyra's Kitchen. We have those recipes posted on our Facebook page, the WFIN Facebook page. Also have them linked up at GoodMornings.net. And we'll mention really quickly if you have. A favorite recipe you would like to uh, include, by all means, email it to us, goodmornings at WFIN.com, or if there's something that you... Or an idea. Yeah, if If you've got an idea. If there's something that you're thinking, ooh, how about something like this? This, yeah. Yeah. We've we've done that before. We've done that. Yeah, we did that. We we do requests on this program. (laughs) So uh, send those to us as well. Again, uh, goodmornings at WFIN.com. But you can go to our Facebook page for those recipes or at uh, goodmornings.net. Uh, for uh, all of those, for the link to uh, all of those recipes. From Kyra's Kitchen this morning, my wife Kyra, thanks very much for dropping by. You're welcome. And that is our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program, of course. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, that is goodmornings.net. A quick note, no podcast on Monday, taking a bit of an extended weekend and 
Coming up on Tuesday, the next all-new program, a year ago, food banks were overwhelmed by the demand created by millions of laid-off workers. Has the pandemic had a lasting impact on the way hunger relief organizations respond? So until Tuesday morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day, a great weekend. We'll catch you back here next week.